Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? Welcome back to another lovely quarantined Winning Wednesday. And it actually seems like there's a lot of hope coming up. I'm looking at the news. You know, I was just watching the news about 20 minutes ago. And the one thing that I'm noticing is that some states are opening up, like my home state, Georgia, um, opening back up. I believe it's this weekend. And it looks like they're allowing barbershops, nail salons, restaurants, entertainment places, things of that sort to open back up. And it seems like there are a couple other states that are opening back up. And, you know, Washington is still planning to open up like golf courses and hiking trails and things of that sort on May 4th. So guys, it's looking like this quarantine is finally coming to an end. But the one thing that kind of makes me a little nervous is, is it too early? Is it way too soon for us to be doing this? Now, I'm no expert in coronavirus. I'm no expert in the medical field. I'm not an expert in anything medicinal. But the one thing that I would say is that I just don't know if this is the right time for us to open it up, considering all the measures that we've taken in the past. So with that being said, y'all be safe. You know, if you wear a mask, wear those masks outside. If you're wearing gloves, wear those outside as well. Just be as safe and sanitary as possible and make sure that you're looking out for yourself. I mean, if there's somebody who's sneezing or coughing, I've said this before, no need to run and panic and freak out, but keep your distance and stay safe. And another thing that I've realized during this quarantine is that I'm actually watching even more reality TV. And it's, it's funny, my roommate and I, Thomas, he... Thomas hates reality TV, as I used to. I can't say that I hate it now because after watching The Circle and even going as far as watching The Circle France and The Circle Brazil, where they're in other languages and you have to read the English subtitles, um, I'm realizing that I actually am enjoying it. It's so much drama and this shit is absolutely crazy, y'all. So we we started watching Too Hot to Handle on Netflix and it's just nuts. I mean, the the concept of these shows is crazy in my opinion. And I just don't, it's, it's just crazy in my opinion. But, but again, y'all like it's hilarious. And my roommate and I literally watch it at night and we just crack up before we go to bed. And it is so funny, but Francesca and Harry, I know you guys are either big fans of them or you're not a big fan of them on too hot to handle. And I'll tell you this. I don't think they should have won. I don't. They broke the rules so many damn times. They lost that group so much money. There's no way, no way they should have made it all the way to the end. I mean, if I'm picking up on the show concept, which is you have all these temptations to have sex and kiss and, you know, be very physical with each other, but you want to learn and grow. Absolutely. But I think Rhonda and uh, Sharon were a much better couple, but that's just my own personal opinion. And what's also crazy about reality TV nowadays is it's like, I'm, I'm thinking back to like the 1990s when my sister used to watch the bachelor and the bachelorette and Every time I would watch that, like it was almost like the people who won were the only people who became famous. And then everybody else was working to try to get to that fame. And they would come back on the show multiple, multiple years until they finally were that one winner and made it to the finale, whatever it may be. But nowadays, I'm looking at some of these people who are on Too Hot to Handle. And I mean, there was this one girl, Madison, who you see maybe three times in the entire show legitimately. Like the show was not about her, but she's got like almost half a million followers on Instagram. Which just proved to show me that like, you know, times have definitely changed and things are becoming a lot more digital, as we all know. But it's just crazy and, and very mind boggling to me that 
someone could go on a TV show and not, I mean, legitimately be looked at maybe three times in the entire time, but she was seen by millions of people. And then all these Instagram followers, which are now going to turn into money because she's going to be an influencer and all that stuff like that. So just crazy times. And, you know, I'm just ranting, but we do have one awesome guest for today. My buddy, Jameson Legrand, he was one of my best friends when he was living in Seattle. I was actually planning to go see him in Vegas um, until this whole Rona crap popped up. But James is awesome. James has worked at Pepsi for, I believe it's four years now. Um, he moved out to Seattle. I believe it was just like a month after I did and or about a year and a month. So he's been with Pepsi for about three years now. Dude has moved from Seattle to Portland to Vegas. He's done all these great things within the um, human resources department. He works with frontline workers who are driving the Pepsi trucks. He also works with corporate workers and unions. So the dude has just a vast amount of experience. And I mean, quite frankly, it's it's very interesting stuff. So with further, without further ado, I'm going to introduce James and let's get him in here. And y'all, as I mentioned, Jameson Legrand is one of my best friends since I moved to Seattle. And shoot, I would even argue in life. James, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How are you doing today, my man? Chase, it is an absolute honor. I'm doing incredible, living the dream. And, you know, been looking forward to the chance to, to get on here. And, uh, you know, super excited that, that you that you got me on here and, and can't wait to dive into some stuff and, and hear about you being a big fan of the podcast ever since day one. And, you know, I, I appreciate the time. I know. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. And I told the people a little bit about this earlier, but I told them that you work at Pepsi. I personally grew up a Coca-Cola fan. And as you know, and I mean, being from Atlanta, how could I not be a Coca-Cola fan, right? Like one of my best friends, Jake, when I was growing up, his mom was like a sales director at Coke. We drank Coke before basketball games, even sometimes like it was ridiculous. But since then, and since moving to Seattle, I am proud to say that I have switched. I now drink Pepsi products. I like Gatorade a lot more than I like Powerade. I go and I drink Sierra Mist, even for you, James. And if I go to a restaurant and I order a Pepsi and they say they have Coke, I switch it over to a sweet tea next this time. But anyways, could you give us a cliff note version on how you actually got to Pepsi? Yeah, no. And first off, I mean, it's the, one of my biggest accomplishments, I think, is switching Atlanta born and bred Chase to a Pepsi <laughs> fan. So I'll just throw that out there up front. But, uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I'm from South Carolina, born and raised, had a psychology degree in undergrad, went to Clemson. Um, and that kind of sparked my interest in people and understanding people and not to get too much into the details, but, um, you know, wanting to understand how people work and how you can make people be better. And, and that's really what I wanted to do was trying to find the way to make people be their, be their best selves. Um, okay. But I realized that it wasn't like, I didn't want to do like the research side of it. So I didn't want to, you know, be in writing a bunch of lab reports or research papers and things like that. I, I just, I wanted to actually be with the people. Um, and so that got me into, into HR. Um, and from there, worked after, after graduating college, worked for a company um, in Atlanta, actually, and, uh, and realized that, you know, I, I still wanted that interaction deeper with people and, and to really actually be able to provide impact in, in people's lives, but in a way that also provided business impact. Um, there's not many opportunities where you can do both. And, and 
So I found that once again in HR and, and went back and got my master's um, in HR management at the University of South Carolina. And uh, from there, I had a mentor in the program. And, and you'll probably hear me speak about like networking and how important that has been in my career. Oh, yeah. But I had a mentor in the program even actually before I started the program and, and reached out to them and connected with them. And they had actually just gotten a full-time job at Pepsi and HR. Um, and there's a bunch of different schools that come in and recruit at the, at the grad school that I went to. It's, it's a, it's a highly, um, competitive school in, in regards to HR careers and Pepsi was one of them. And coming from a job that, you know, it was, a, it was a great experience for me, but I, I didn't feel that connection. My sole purpose was to find a company that, that I connected with that I felt like I was going to have a purpose in, and that was actually going to be able to push me and drive me and, you know, I wasn't ever going to be complacent. Um, oh, yeah. And not only would it allow me to be the best version of me, but it would kind of tell me what that is versus me coming and saying, hey, I want A, B, and C, and then they give me A, B, and C. I kind of I, I kind of wanted to, to be guided in that way in a sense. And so um, the people, the, the recruiters came in to, to the school, and, and I just immediately connected with them, and it was as if, you know, we just started talking about everything, whether it was business-related, HR-related, or just – you know, hey, let's go and have a drink at the bar or something, you know, just all around felt really connected with, with the group that came and recruited. It's like, this is the, this is the spot for me. Um, so got an internship offer from grad school to Pepsi and uh, went up to Boston, actually. And so spent a summer in Boston supporting a uh, sales and delivery warehouse up there. So both frontline and, and uh, blue collar and white collar type job and just fell in love with it. You know, the, even as an intern, they threw me in. Um, I was working on projects way above even like the level I'm in now, but yeah. as an intern. And I was like, wow, if they're going to give me this responsibility, allow me to provide my own ideas, my own thought, my own foresight into things, um, then this is the company for me. And so ended up getting the full-time offer. Another thing that was really cool about Pepsi was that it allowed me to travel and go, uh, you know, small town boy from uh, South Carolina living in Boston and then got a full-time job out in Seattle. And it's kind of history ever since. And, and now I'm in Vegas and a few stops in between, but uh, that's a short slash long story of, of what got me, got me into Pepsi. No, I love that. I love that. And you touched on a lot of things that I actually want to continue talking about, but your story is so inspiring, right? And it's inspiring because it's not because you wanted to go work in business to become a, business manager and make all this money for the company and then continue to move up the ranks or whatever it may be. You wanted to go be closer to people and helps in the service of people, help them become great. And throughout that time, you've also became even better within your, your job itself, right? You went, went from the internship in Boston, you moved all the way out to Seattle with the full-time job, which is not a very easy thing to do, by the way, for everybody who's out there. Like, People who have been through it know that going from an intern to full-time role is like, I'm not going to say near impossible, but it's pretty damn hard. And you got that, took the jump out to Seattle, met me, became a fantastic person because of who I am. No. Yeah, yeah that's it. And then you get a promotion, you move down to Portland, you take on more responsibility, and now you're taking on even more responsibility, getting another promotion, moving to Vegas, and... I messed this up when we were talking earlier saying three years all done within a two year time frame. And 
I want to talk talk a little bit more about networking and your mentor because I think that is a very important piece of your journey. As you mentioned before, like it's something that you couldn't have done without um, you couldn't have gotten to where you are without your mentor. And that reminds me of kind of how I got my job at Nordstrom currently is because my current manager, I would consider her a mentor as well because I worked with her at Starbucks for a very long time. And when I was at Starbucks working with her and not working with her, we used to meet all the time continuously talking about life, talking about work. And I would always go to her for advice. And she ended up calling me, call it at the end of August and telling me about the role opening up. And that's when I became interested in it. And my main interest was not necessarily the role, but it was for working for her because I was like, she's going to take care of me. She's going to always look out for me. And no matter what, I know that I will learn and grow in this role because Christine is going to take care of me. And I have a hard time believing that's not a similar situation for you. But when you say that like your mentor was at, at Pepsi and then helped you get there, could you kind of talk a little bit about your relationship with your mentor and how you guys met and then how you kind of grew that relationship to them now respecting you and I mean, being willing enough to essentially help you get your job. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And, and it actually it would behoove me not to bring up kind of my first mentor. If, if, if you don't mind me even taking a step go back, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go the, ahead. the one at Pepsi. Um, and it was when I was at, at Clemson in psychology and didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Hadn't found HR as my passion and actually connected with one of my professors who just struck me as somebody who was like, you know, when I saw them and heard his story, he had worked at BMW as their lead HR director, and now he's a professor coming at Clemson. And I was like, I want to be him. And I literally just went up to him one day and go, hey, I don't have any experience. I don't really know what I want to do, but your career path excites me. Can you help me? And I don't know why he said yes and why he said, hey, just come work for me in this consulting firm. But that's really what got me connected in HR. And he showed me the life from there, and, and that's how I ended up getting my minor in HR, and, and that's really where it all started. And that's when I first realized how important kind of putting yourself out there to grow your network and to actually network it is. And, and you know, then how I found out about my grad school was also through another networking opportunity, um, connecting with others and understanding, hey, how are they bettering themselves? What are they doing? And then so that led me to actually finding my mentor who drove me to Pepsi, and, and connecting with her, um, it started, and, and I think people put a lot of pressure on the word mentor sometimes. And, and it doesn't have to be, you know, this person that's seven levels above you who, you know, is going to help you get your next job, or it doesn't have to be, it really doesn't have to be anything. It, it can be whoever is somebody who's going to drive you, push you, and someone who's there for you when you're thinking of, you know, kind of complex personal conversations. Like, hey, you know, I, I'm at this crossroads in my life. What, what, what do I need to do? What would you do? Oh, yeah. How would you handle this? And to me, a mentor doesn't give you the answers. They help you find them. Um, and that and that's what this person has done. It's like, hey, you know, it sounds like you really like Pepsi. Like, what do you like about it? Instead of answering that question, she asked me, well, what are you looking for? What do you want in a job? What do you want in a career? And instead of like kind of implanting and trying to recruit me to Pepsi, she wanted what was best for me. And seeing that and hearing that and having that conversation and realizing like, Hey, you know, this person could have been like, Oh, Pepsi's the greatest place in the world. Or, Oh, you need to come to this company. Cause I know these people and things like that. It was first, I want to make sure that you're doing what's right for you and, and, and knowing what's right for you. And that's when I realized, Hey, this is somebody who cares about people, cares about me. I didn't really know the person that much at the time. Um, but that was kind of what showed me the culture of Pepsi. 
um, was that that was the question she asked me, not, oh, yes, you know, come come work here. But, you know, what do you want? What are you looking for? Why are you even here? Like, like why grad school? Why this? She kind of just dug deeper into me to understand me and then helped give me the guidance and push me in the right direction based off of my own responses, not her own ideas. Um, and, you know, that, that's one type of mentor, and, and, and every mentor kind of does things in a different way. You know, sometimes you'll need those ones that really kind of point you in the direction. But once I got connected with her, then that's where it really branched off. And then I go, okay, you know, I, I'm one who likes to take the bull by the horn. Um, you know, I don't uh, – people say, you know, luck is something that, that comes about, but I, I think, like, luck is something that you make. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're at the right place at the right time, but if you don't do the right thing, then you're not lucky. And so it's, it's putting those three pieces together. So once I found out about Pepsi, I reached out to people at Pepsi um, just to say, hey, you know, I want to know more about the company and things like that. And actually the first person I did reach out to, even before I interviewed or knew anything about Pepsi, is now my closest counterpart and closest mentor within the organization. Um, and she's really guided me through my career and has helped me get to where I've gotten. And um, I, I wouldn't be you know, able to say, hey, I've you know, moved three times and three roles in less than, you know, in a two-year time frame without her. And so, but I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't put myself out there too. So a little jumping around there, but with the ideas of, you know, a mentor is what you make it and, and you don't put too much pressure on the term and, and putting yourself out there really got me to be able to, to be pushed by those around me uh, to get me to where I am today. No, I, I love that, James, and I appreciate you going in depth on mentors as well, because I couldn't have said it any better, to be honest with you. I mean, the fact of the matter is that the word mentor brings a lot of pressure with it, because I think we as millennials and just in today's society look at mentors and go, I need that person who's on the board, or I need that CEO who mentor, or I need those VP mentors. But to your point, <clears throat> sorry. To your point, it's not about that. It's more about what that person serves for you. I mean, James, to your point, like you're a mentor to me. Not only are you a friend, but I come to you when it comes to advice about HR stuff. Yo, something just happened at work. Should I approach HR on this? Yo, this just happened in my career. What do you think about moving to X, Y, and Z? Or what do you think about this? Or how should I approach this? Right. And it's not always the the answer that you get from it to your point, but it's the the thought provoking answers that you get, because it's now making you think in, in a different light, in a different perspective and deeper in thought, what you want for your, for your life, for your career, for your, and for that specific decision to be made. And your mentors serve a purpose of helping you see the vision beyond the the present. And I truly believe in the same thing about you with luck is that people who are lucky are also very good. And those who are good live by the five P's and, it's prior preparation prevents pre- or <laughs> holy shit. It's uh preparation prevents piss poor performance, right? And when people live by those five P's, they're always prepared because they never know when their time is going to come. And when their time comes, they better damn well be ready to take advantage of that, take the bull by their horns and attack it full force because you might only get that one opportunity and you don't want that one opportunity to pass. And the last thing that you want is to be unprepared during that opportunity to say, shit, the only time I was able to make the MBA was when I was at the peak of my performance, uh, you know, coming out of my junior year of college. And instead of going, 
I decided to go party a little bit more, or I decided to go hang out with my friends a little bit more. Or I decided to study a little bit less or whatever it may be. And, um, to my, I'm just trying to get the point across that you gotta, you gotta be ready in order to be lucky. And when the opportunity comes about, you just gotta be ready to seize it. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. It's, a, it's being ready. And sometimes you don't even know what you're preparing for. And I think that's the thing. We, we, we try and plan and say, Oh, we're going to be ready for this moment. And normally the bigger moments, you, you don't even know they're going to happen and you don't even know what you're planning for, but being prepared for whatever that may be, um, and both internally and professionally, whatever it may be mentally, you know, but once it comes, you'll be ready. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And James, let's switching gears just a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about your work at Pepsi. So, but we're going to tie this into being a little bit unprepared. So coming out of Boston, out of your internship, you moved to Seattle and within your time at Seattle and Portland and Vegas, you've worked with not only like corporate sales, uh, I'll call them people, but uh, organizations, but you've also worked with people who work on the front line as well in unions. Can you tell us a little bit about what that line of work is like, how you approach people differently based off of their, their line of work, and then also like just a little bit more about your experience and working with all different types of people at the end of the day? I mean, shit, like that's, that's completely different than my line of work, working with people who work in a corporate office all day. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, that kind of dynamic, um, I, I call it a, I'm in a white collar job, but in a blue collar atmosphere. Um, and, and that dynamic is, is one of the things that really attracted me to Pepsi. Um, you know, sure, I could go into a corporate facility and, and hey, I may be going to Pepsi's corporate facility down the line. Um, yep. Nothing against corporate facilities by any means, but it's a different world there. And, and you know, you're kind of dealing with the same type of people um, in terms of what their jobs are um, and, you know, in that corporate setting. But being able to be versatile and adapting to, you know, not only this individual who, you know, has been a CDL truck driver for 35 years, bleeds Pepsi, uh, you know, his whole family grew up going to the family events and then also dealing with this, you know, high potential person who just came out of college with two degrees and is going to be leading our sales function, right? These are two very different people, very different backgrounds, very different experiences. Um, and, it's my role to help get them on the same path together. And you ask, you know, how do you deal with the different type of people uh, or how do you treat, you know, how do you handle the differences or how do you treat them differently? And, and actually what, what I think the key is, is, is that I don't treat them differently. Um, I, I treat them as who they are. So my parents were both public school teachers, uh, taught at my high school actually that I went to and they always taught Chape me. Chape in, baby. Yeah. 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 You treat the janitor the same way you treat the CEO, um, and and that stuck with me. And you know, the 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 drivers they'll call me out on my bullshit if if they think I'm being fake or they think I'm just saying something because it sounds good or it sounds professional or fancy. They're gonna call me out on it, so I gotta be real with them. But then if I go into you know a business meeting with our senior directors or or senior VPs and I'm not real with them. They're going to think that I'm just some BS HR person because, you know, HR is a seat at the table, but you have to also sit at the seat at the table. You can't just have a seat and that's what you get. You have to be able to sit in that seat. Um, and so being present and being able to have those conversations at an executive level, 
at the same time, being able to drive and connect with somebody, like I said, that 35-year-plus tenured driver, it's all about just treating them as people, right? Whether they're the CEO or they're somebody who just started in, in, a, in a frontline role, if you're not treating them as just a person, you're taking away their title, you take away everything else, then you're either going to be scared to talk to the CEO or you're going to think you're better than the driver. In both of those situations, you're going to fail. Yep. And so the real root of it all is, is just treating people as people. And, you know, everybody's got issues. Everybody's got successes. Everybody is, you're going to be able to help everybody in some type of way. Uh, but it's how you come across to them. It's, it's what's going to get you to understand what that type of way means. And, and so the key to it, is, and what I really love about it, and it kind of goes back to the first thing I was saying is that my goal was to find a way to impact people was that, you know, you just treat them as people. It doesn't matter what their title is. doesn't matter what their background is, you know, shoot the shit with them, talk to them, joke with them, but then also talk about business, talk about what they, they need. Their needs are very different, very, very different, right? <laughs> the, their questions that they have for you are very different. You know, even just today, you know, five minutes I was talking to an employee about, you know, their taxes and, and how to file for their tax return because they didn't know how to use a computer. And then two minutes later, our senior director walked in about this project that we're doing. And, and if we don't do it this way, then it could, you know, mess up uh, uh, our whole division. Two very different conversations. And my mind has to be able to flip from one to the other immediately. But what keeps me rooted is that they're both people. And all we're dealing with is people. And, you know, we sell sugar water, but we sell it to people. And so if we didn't have people, we wouldn't have a product and we wouldn't make money and we wouldn't have jobs. And so, I have to remind myself that sometimes when things get crazy, um, but that's really what kind of keeps it rooted and what has made my job so fun is dealing with all those different backgrounds and having them mesh together. You know, it's, it's interesting seeing, a, you know, somebody who just graduated from college are put into a role where they have to now manage those people who have been drivers for 35 years. Now that's a unique experience um, because they may not think of them. They're thinking of it as say, this is my role to get jump up in the world, but I have to remind them, hey, you got to treat them as people first. They're not just your, you know, um, jumping uh, ledge to, to get uh, to the, you know, the next promotion or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah. So that's 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 kind of the, the gist of that. But it's just, for, you know, all those different backgrounds and all those different experiences is all just about the people. Absolutely. That's that's awesome. And I honestly couldn't agree with you more, James. And I think you'd be happy to know that my favorite saying at work is, I mean, we're all just human beings at the end of the day. Like if you want to go grab a, co a cup of coffee one day and sit down and just shoot the shit for 30 minutes because, hey, I have 30 minutes during the during the week and I just want to get to know you a little bit better. I see you more. I've said this so many times on on these podcast episodes this this year is we see the people at work more often than we see our own families, more often than we see anybody else in our lives. And the truth is that you want to at least enjoy the people that you're around and the, the people that you're working with. And sure, like families, you're going to fight with others. And it may not be like, you know, a full blown, like heated emotional fight, maybe a little business political fight, but still like that emotion is going to rise. And you have to realize at the end of the day, like not only do we have to spend the eight hours together every single day at, at a minimum, but everybody else goes outside and has their own lives and has to deal with their own shit whether they're dealing with, you know, money issues or family issues or anything. I mean, I, you could go on for days talking about it, but everybody has their own stuff. And if you respect them and you're compassionate enough to be 
at least empathetic empathetic towards them then you'll again like you'll be able to survive and thrive within that environment and shit it's it's done well for you james it's done well for myself i'd say because not a lot of people and i'm saying not a lot of people like not a lot of it's not typical for someone to come in and treat everybody the same in the work environment or wherever it may be based on titles based on class based on anything and the fact that people like you people like myself are able to kind of take off that prideful hat if it's even there and say i don't care what you do i don't care what you say we are all people at the end of the day. And like, I'm going to enjoy a conversation with you because I bet I'm going to learn something from you. And not even that, like you have to learn something from somebody, but you're just going to have good conversation. You're going to at least enjoy that time with them. And whether it's learning something new, whether it be how to play ping pong or, you know, a new formula within Excel or, you know, how to drive a big ass truck. I don't know anything like you could learn so much. And that's how I've gained a lot of my knowledge is just through, sitting down with people and hearing what they have to say about life. So anyways, I got one more topic for you, James, and we're about to help some damn millennials out. If you had a couple tips for some millennials, particularly coming into the work environment, and I'm sure like you've touched on this already, like just being a good human being, like having good values, good morals, and really being grounded. But what would be your tips for a millennial who's just graduating college and going out into the workforce today? Yeah, no, and, and I think that's a great question, and I, I'm gonna answer it in, in a kind of a tree branch of ways. Yeah. Um, the first is gonna be kind of with an example of ways that I've seen it fail, um, and, and hopefully it could be a, a learning point for those who are listening, but you know, I've seen extremely, extremely talented and extremely, extremely driven smart, um, you know, just grade A students, grade A business people coming out of college, immediately out of college, and they're hungry and they're driven and all they want to do is take on the world. And They get in the role that they're in, which is that role where it's supposed to humble you. It's supposed to where you kind of take a seat back and you just sit back and learn. And they take that role for granted and they don't look at their role that they're in. They look four roles in advance. And I'm not saying that it's it's that you shouldn't set goals like yes set that goal for four roles in advance but do it knowing that you have to master what you're in today first and so the biggest mistake i've seen is people getting into a role and thinking that they're already better than the role they're in and then asking for the next role or saying hey i'm ready for the next role i'm ready for the next role and sure great attitude to say hey i'm good and i, and I want to move up but once you get that feedback Take the feedback. Hey, you're not ready yet. You need to do A, B, and C. Or hey, if they don't even give you A, B, and C, make sure they give you that A, B, and C. But take it to heart and fix those things and dive into those things. Don't just brush it off and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I don't believe your feedback. I'm ready. And, you know, maybe somebody else will tell you, actually, hey, you're not ready. You've only been in role a few months. No, I'm ready. So <laughs> a long example there. But my thing, my, my, the first piece I would say is that sometimes – Millennials, we get too big-headed. We get we, we think that we are too great, and we don't take today and master today. We are already seven steps ahead. And don't get me wrong. I'm seven steps ahead, but I guarantee you I'm focusing on today because I know that that's the first step to get seven steps ahead. Absolutely. So that's my first one. Second one, more of a positive spin. 
Um, and, and it's kind of taking that passion that I just talked about with the person where they drove it in the wrong direction. And it's, it's really about owning your career and, and owning, I say the moment, like I was just talking about, but owning the moment. And so another example, Hey, you're, you're tasked with creating this PowerPoint to deliver a simple message. You can just put some bullet points on a slide. Did you, did you get the job done? Did you deliver the message? Yes. But did you take it to the next level? Did you understand why the message was being delivered? Did you understand how was the best way to deliver that message based off the audience you were talking to? Did you understand the sustainable piece of the message? Are they going to remember this message in a week, in two weeks, in three weeks? And if you're not thinking about the holistic view of what you're doing, then you're wasting the skills that you have. And I think we get in that we're in a world of do, do, do right now is good. And I need immediate satisfaction. And so if you tell me I need to deliver this message, I'm going to deliver it. But you're not thinking of the big picture. And it's people who can take that second and think about the bigger picture. Think about how it's going to impact those around them. Think about how are they going to perceive the way that you're delivering that message and not just take the, the action as an action, but take it as a challenge to make it better. Uh, you know, those are the people who, who those who can do that are the millennials who can really be successful because we're, we have a unique mindset. You know, we think about things differently. We're coming with a different perspective and we have to put that into work, but people aren't just going to immediately say, okay, you're great. You're good. You're going to, you know, solve the, solve this issue, deliver this message. You know, we have to show that we can do that. And once you show that you can do that, then people are going to start to expect that from you and you're going to start to get asked to deliver a lot more messages. And, you know, those messages are going to go from delivering it to, you know, a one-year employee to the CEO if you keep thinking about it with that mindset of the whole picture, the who, the how, the what, the why, and not just taking it as a, hey, they told me to do it and I'm going to do it because they said I, I, I needed to do it. So summing that all up, it's using your skills to take you to the next level by owning the moment that you're in and, and not just getting too far ahead of yourself or not just doing it because you know that they want you to do it, making sure you do it the right way and, and asking for help along the way to make sure that's the case. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, so kind of two, two sides of the spectrum there, but, but I think you know, taking those two things to heart owning the moment that you're in and, and doing it above and beyond what is even asked, you'll get noticed. And I'm telling you, if you were the company who cares about people who care about the company, you won't even have to apply for jobs. People will be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, we want you here. Hey, we want you there. If you find that niche that you're good at, you know, you don't have to be good at everything. People who are good at everything are just average, right? You know, you're not going to be great at everything. You're just going to be average at everything. So find those things that you're great at. If you know you're great at Excel, drive that Excel. Do everything you can when you're delivering that message to show your Excel skills. And then people are going to notice you for that Excel skills. And I guarantee you when they have a question about Excel, they're not going to go to that other person or, or your neighbor. They're going to go to you. And you're going to make a name for yourself. And that's how you get noticed. And so those are the things like finding that niche, making the moment the moment, and focusing on today. You know, I think those are those would be my three, three key advices to millennials as as they're coming out of college or as they're starting a new job or or really in any day to day. Um, big things to kind of keep keep reminding yourself of. Those are and those are those are all. I mean, shit, James. I'm, you're gonna I'm gonna have to bring you back on like every three four months so that way we can just do like learning lessons with James. 
because um, again, I, I couldn't articulate that any better. And controlling your career and owning your career is something that I I personally take very, very seriously because I, I don't know, like just ever since I've started my career, I've known that like the only person that's going to get me to the top or get me to wherever it is that I want to be is going to be myself. And I know that I have to do it in good faith by being a good human, being a good person to other people and also bringing people along because that's just who I am as a person. I don't want to do everything by myself. I'd rather do it as a team than do it individually. Right. But at the same time, like you have to take that initiative and also be patient with yourself because there are definitely times when I'm in role where two, three, four months in role, I'm like, man, I could do that next person's job and the next, next person's job. Like I'm so good. I could do that. But I also have to remind myself that with time comes experience. And the only way that I'm actually going to ever learn and master something is through time, right? Kobe Bryant did not become one of the best basketball players to ever live by shooting a couple jumpers, making it in the gym, and then calling at the end of the day and being like, wow, I mean, I went two for two when I started off today. So why would I shoot more? My shot's falling. Instead, he worked himself until he knew he was prepared to to the point where he was like, I'm an expert in this. And like you said, James, you can't become great at everything. You, you, you truly can't. You have to focus. You have to be great at one thing. And then you can move on to the next thing. And then that could be added into your arsenal of great skills and your great skill set. But you can only master one thing at a time. And you have to be patient with yourself. But you also have to own the fact that you are the one who is controlling your own destiny at the end of the day. And I think that ties all the way back into our luck conversation at the beginning and all that fun stuff. But James, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, go well, ahead. I'm sorry. One thing you brought up that I, I wanted to, I wanted to hit on. You brought up the fact of, you know, um, you know, you got to be able to, to know when that right role is. And hey, maybe you're in that role and you're saying I could do that person roles above me, or I could do that person two roles above. Um, and I, I've been in that exact same situation. And I was actually talking with my mentor about this, going back to the mentor and kind of wrapping it all in. And they told me this one thing. They go, "Hey, you know, you know what? You definitely could do that person's job and uh, above you, or in two jobs above you. But you know what? I know you want to be four jobs above them. You want to be the VP. You want to be leading the HR organization for an, yeah. or, for a company. And it's going to be a huge detriment to yourself if you jump so quickly into those roles that you never actually get the depth. You have a ton of breadth, breadth in a width way, but you don't have any depth in role." And once you're at those those senior executive levels, it's all about depth because you're dealing with issues that you have to understand that's going to affect not only the shareholders, but that frontline employee. Yep. So hearing that and realizing that, that made me kind of humble myself and be like, hey, you know what? You're right. I could do that. But that's not good for me for my ultimate goal of being even past that. If that is my goal, then sure, I can do that today. But it's all about knowing where you are and knowing where you want to be. And realizing that there's there's that steps that you need to take to get there. And so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it made me think that. And that's something that resonates with me because we're both driven people, right? We want to succeed and move up as fast as we can. But sometimes that's not best for us. And we got to realize that too. Absolutely. It's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And again, like, like you said, your mentor was what helped kind of humble you and bring you out of the present and looking forward, forward looking, saying, this is actually a really bad idea for you. Because you need to learn a little bit more. Trust me on this one. Trust me on this one. Just learn a little bit more. Spend a little bit more time learning it. And then you can grow just as fast as you want. 
But again, like you might be the youngest VP in all of Pepsi ever, but if you're not good at it, you're only going to last for so long. And you're only going to make that big salary and get those big bonuses for so long. And then you might not ever get referred to being a VP at any other company because your experience there was so bad. And I'm not saying that this is what would happen, but it's very likely that it could happen if you were to move up too quickly. And I think it's just, I think it's a really good point that you bring up. And again, I, I love the stress that we've brought on mentors and having people who are helping you kind of move up in your career strategically rather than, um, you know, just people who are just, you know, these senior level executives who need mentees because it looks good on their resume. Um, so I just, I want to thank you for this conversation today because it's been awesome. It's been fantastic. And I'm actually really, really, really excited to post this one because I think a lot of people are going to gain a lot of insight from it and I'm not freaking joking. I'm going to have to bring you on like monthly or something of that sort because we need you to be talking to us. No, I, I've loved this. This has been awesome. I, I really appreciate it. And you, you got a avid listener. And, you know, if you ever need me back, I'm happy to be back and talk about any and everything. And I got to get to Seattle. I got to get back to Seattle soon, too. So maybe next time we'll do it in person. Yes, sir. Well, I'll be down in Vegas soon. So once we, I get back down there, I'll just bring my mic and we'll get rocking and rolling. I'm there we go. There we go. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review. Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore millennial way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is The Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.